Majna Turnanda Shah, Janajana Sulakaya, Chakshun Melitani Natasmai Shi Guru Venamaha. Vanchkapatu Vishja, Kripasindavivacha. Patitana Pavanabio Vaishnavijan Honamaha. So good evening everyone. Thank you for coming to our continued discussion of Tatvasandarva, Srila Jiva Goswami's contribution to formation of an understanding of the proper relationships necessary to, to get a foothold in spiritual life. Mm. So if we look at look at advancing spiritually, our tradition teaches of three basic components of self-realization. Sambandha, which is an understanding of relationships how we relate with everything around us, our bodies, our environment, our planet, our universe. There's so many relationships there, each other. And ultimately, how we relate with the absolute truth, how we perceive of the absolute truth, what our perception is, what is divine, is there a divine? If there is, what is his nature or her nature or its nature? Again, all this dependent upon our perspective. So Sambandha, Abhideya. Abhideya is a way by which that understanding of what is the prime objective of our existence can be effectuated. That would vary discipline to discipline, from understanding to understanding. And what is what is that supreme goal? So Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. So Tattva Sandarbha, which is one of the six Sandarbhas of Srila Jiva Goswami, is meant to establish a basis for knowing, a baseline. What how do we determine what is valid valid knowledge when it comes to understanding the nature of our being, the nature of self, the nature of the world, the nature of, of spiritual existence, if there is one. If we can believe there is a spiritual existence, how would one conceive of that? How would one know of that from our limited viewpoint? So the Tattva Sandarbha is, is, is centered on that. What are we going to rely on if we're going to try to acquire knowledge of ourself and of spiritual existence? We all have some sense that there is some spiritual existence, but your sense and my sense may not be in alignment. You may think one way and I may think another. You may think that the supreme attainable or aspirable uh, objective is, 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 is entirely different from what my, what my understanding is. So Tattva Sandarva tries to establish a baseline and it begins by an analysis of epistemology. What is knowledge? Epistemology means 
the an understanding of of an approach to knowledge basically establishing what some confidence in the acquisition of knowledge some confidence in as i said that baseline of understanding where where is that going to come from and he begins as as we mentioned he begins first of all by explaining our precarious position if we're going to look at knowledge how are we going to do that because we have some some definitely definite difficulties in acquiring pure knowledge we just look at the world by observation we can come to this conclusion not everybody thinks alike everybody sees things from a different angle of vision that angle of vision is based on culture it's based on age based on race based based on our own built-in likes and dislikes our conditioning so to speak we notice that one one man or woman is 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 attracted to knowledge and light and beauty and another person is attracted to exactly the opposite murder mayhem rape and whatever they both have an aspiration to enjoy life but their perspective is entirely different one we would find noble and uh, praiseworthy and the other we, we abhor. So Jiva first points out this to us that if, we're going to, if we want to have knowledge we're going to have trouble acquiring perfect knowledge due to so much imperfection in empiric or sensory knowledge what's coming into us from our senses from our society, from our culture, from our background, from our, from our physical uh, situation. The senses in and of themselves are limited. Because the senses are limited, what some of the knowledge we think is reliable is simply an illusion. We think this is, this is reality, but it's, it's a mirage of water in the desert and you can't drink it. We make mistakes. We have a bias, cheating. We want things to go our way. We think our way of looking at things is the best way. So yes, we all have a tendency to root for our cause. And to to root for our cause, we'll, we'll engage in some cheating. So therefore, Jiva says, well, if you want real knowledge, you're not going to get it from these senses. You're not going to get... Uh, your sensory uh, sensors mind and the senses are not gonna not gonna get you there. You need to have you need to find another source of knowledge that's infallible. So then he says, well, is there an infallible source of knowledge? Is there or isn't there? And he says, well, if we look, what we can see is all the great saints and the sages of your do have profound knowledge regarding spiritual matters and the prominent source of that knowledge is scripture 
So then he looks at scripture and he looks at all the different kinds of scriptures and he realizes these scriptures are coming from the Supreme, but they're tailor-made for people in different situations. Someone may be in a lower mode than someone else. When we say mode, we mean condition nature. So you would not approach them with spiritual knowledge the same way you would approach somebody that's not in that situation. A crude example. If you were to try to give someone spiritual knowledge who was in a very destitute situation, you'd have a very difficult time. If they if they had if they had can hardly find something to eat, if they're if they're not uh, they don't have a roof over their head, they 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 have to struggle day to day just to survive. You're going to have a very difficult time imparting spiritual knowledge to that person until you placate their condition. Or they may have, or people have a different mental condition, and they think in one way or another, they're attracted to certain things. Some person may be attracted to intoxication, or sex life, or a hundred million things of the world, yachts, whatever, money, greed, position, power. How do you approach all these different mentalities? and try to bring them to a platform of spiritual knowledge. Well, Scripture is there. We, we accept that the, there is Scripture, but those Scriptures are tailor-made for people in different conditions. Being tailor-made for people in different conditions, some of them do not emphasize the topmost knowledge right out of the gate. They go through a gradual process, as I said. You first, you'd have to feed, clothe, and give shelter to someone before you could, before you could tell them that really the material body has nothing to do with your spiritual life. They'd have a hard time even comprehending such a such a position. So Jiva Goswami. He says, okay, we're going to accept scripture. We're going to accept knowledge. We're going to accept spiritual knowledge. We're going to accept the topmost spiritual knowledge, which we would like to have from the mouth of the supreme person who's not in our predicament. So we want, we want a strong spiritual basis for knowledge. And that strong spiritual basis is the Veda. But as I said, the Veda is there, and it is what? It is tailor-made to, to deal with everybody, with all of humanity, not with a certain section of humanity. But Jiva Goswami, he wants to take us to the topmost understanding of our spirituality. So he says, well, we're going to have to look at this whole volume of spiritual knowledge, Veda, and we're going to have to, we're going to, have to be discriminating and take care to only take those that portion of spiritual knowledge which is the topmost and the most beneficial. And we're now at a point in his discourse where he has determined of all the Vedic knowledge, 
for all of the different sections of humanity and all the different environments that, the, that are put forth, uh, there is a specific knowledge which is purest, the purest, most perfect presentation of the absolute reality which is your spiritual self and is the supreme person's self and it fully expounds on developing the topmost relationship with that personality and that scripture is Srimad Bhagavatam Srimad Bhagavatam we are at that point in the discourse <coughs> where he is singing the praises of the Bhagavatam in order to convince us that his conclusion that the Srimad Bhagavatam is the best should become our conclusion. And we have now for quite a few weeks been step by step going through this, this process with him, with the author of Tatvas and Darva, where he is, we are becoming more and more grounded in this understanding that first of all, spiritual knowledge is better than empiric inspection of the world. If we want to, if we want to go in, we can't look outward. We have to look inward. And of all the various fields of spiritual knowledge, the Veda, that are available to mankind, the topmost Veda is Srimad Bhagavatam, which is one of the 18 Puranas, but it is the spotless Purana. His whole dialogue is, in, is, is centered around that premise, being an associate of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Maha, Mahaprabhu said, Srimad Bhagavatam is a spotless Purana. It is the topmost. So let us, let us start and establish that fact. So we're to Anucheda 23. Srimad Bhagavatam is luminous like the sun. What's the nature of the sun? It sheds light on everything else. If the sun doesn't come up, what's our field of activity? There's no field of activity. So, just like the sun, this particular literature, this spiritual narration, is luminous like the sun. So, he quotes a verse from, from the Bhagavatam itself, the very third, uh, from the third chapter. Uh, Krishna Swadhamopagata. This Bhagavat Purana is as brilliant as the sun and it has arisen just after the departure of Lord Krishna to his own abode. Accompanied by religion, knowledge, etc. Persons who have lost their vision due to the dense darkness of ignorance in this age of Kali shall get light from this Purana. So the Bhagavatam itself is, is, is speaking uh, of its position that it is going to give light and not only does it give light to our spiritual position 
And not only is it that light coming from that supreme person who has who is Lord Krishna, but if you are not if at this point you don't have the direct audience of Krishna if he is departed and you are not in his presence at present he is present in this literature so this Bhagavad Purana is as brilliant as the sun and it's it's arisen after the Lord's departure. So if he's not here, the same luminosity, the same enlightenment, the same, the same relationship you could have with him, you can have with him through this light of his. Um, not only is it brilliant like the sun in the sense that it is it is just like the body of the Supreme Lord, all luminous, but it illuminates all the other scriptures. So we touched on this in the last class, that if we, we even look to, uh, we look to other literatures, you look to the Vedanta Sutra, you look to the Vedas, you look to the whole corpus of spiritual knowledge, of knowledge to, to uh to benefit humanity, no matter what their position. Um, if you have any any discourse on that knowledge, on the Vedanta, on that copus of all knowledge, on, a, on the Vedanta Sutra, if that commentary does not correspond, excuse me, with the conclusions of Srimad Bhagavatam, then we should not be so interested in it. That's how, in how bright this son of Srimad Bhagavatam is. So, it's not that other scriptures illuminate Bhagavatam, although so many scriptures speak of its praises, but it illuminates them. You will not find the absolute truth in other scripture unless you have the Bhagavatam. Over the years, again in this Anucheta, Jiva Goswami is making his position. He next comes to a place where he says, over the years many great saintly people, many realized souls, have made commentaries on the Srimad Bhagavatam. And these should not be lost to our understanding. Anybody with real spiritual substance to them have commented on Bhagavatam. And he mentions in the in his uh, Anucheda uh, many, um, but uh, what the primary one for our understanding, of course, is Sridhar Swami, because that commentary was so dear to Sri Chaitanya. His commentary was Bhavartha Dabika, Bhavartha Dabika. Um, his next Anucheta goes into some discussion of um, a book by another great saint, um, Hemadri, and his glorifying of Bhagavatam and his various writings. And then 
he goes into an area where he explains the fact that Sankaracharya, the great Sankaracharya, would not touch Srimad Bhagavatam, would not comment on it. Although he drew inspiration from it for his own purposes. He had a purpose that was not his own, that was the purpose of Krishna in coming, Lord Shiva coming as Sankaracharya in order to put a proper perspective on spiritual vision in humanity. And it had to be done in a very elegant manner. And it took some time. So we'll relate that history so we can see some perspective and put Sankaracharya's teachings in perspective. So we look at the, at the scriptures and just like anything in the world, man can use things properly and improper. They can use them for, for good purposes or they can use them for, for foolish, uh, self-interested purposes which are uh, not their uh, original intent. What would you say anything in the world could be used for good or evil? So at a certain point, the scriptures in the world were be, being misused by humanity. Uh, they would take that part of the scripture that would give them the benefits of wealth or heavenly heavenly uh, heavenly life. Uh, so many benefits are there, and benefits come at uh, at the cost of sacrifice. So in the Vedic scriptures of yore, in a different time, different culture, for, for different people, um, they would take the scriptures and they would look at the scriptures and see that script, that's in the scriptures sacrifice was recommended. And they would say, well, let us do this sacrifice for our, for our purpose. Our purpose may be, but they didn't do the sacrifices perfectly. Not only was their intent not wholesome, but their practice also was not wholesome. What I mean by that is these sacrifices were in days of yore were so expertly done that even if the sacrifice called for the, for the taking of an animal's life, like a goat, the priest was so spiritually powerful that even in taking the life of the goat, the goat would not lose its life. It would immediately take life again. So it would appear to die and be sacrificed, but then it would be reinstated. So all these Vedic sacrifices, at a certain point in the history of man, were being misused and not properly performed. Animals were being needlessly killed 
simply for the benefit of, 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 of man. Um, uh, the priests were not competent and all this was being done in the name of religion. This is for God. This is, you know, this is, re this is, this is religious. There's nothing wrong here. We can do this. This, as you can imagine, was not very pleasing to the Supreme. <laughs> and uh, he therefore personally came. He manifest in humanity as Lord Buddha. And he preached, stop sacrificing. Stop killing animals needlessly. He professed ahimsa, nonviolence. And he, he tried, he tried, he just basically said, put all these religious books aside, put all this knowledge aside. He didn't tell them they didn't know what, how to use it properly. He said, it's a, you know, if you follow me, you'll get the same result. Just follow me. Well, being God, you, they could follow him. So he didn't. He basically suspended, he personally suspended his spiritual literatures, his Veda, which he'd given for the, for, for the upliftment of humanity, for the gradual cultivation of deep spiritual understanding. He had to suspend the knowledge in his Veda, in his scriptures, and, and set them aside and say to humanity, don't follow those scriptures follow me and I'm, I'll tell you the right thing to do. And the first right thing to do is you need to become nonviolent. Don't kill needlessly other living entities. And realize that there is nothing beyond what you experience here. This is it. But this isn't it. This is not. This really has is 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 not of any significance. In order to attain peace for your being, you need to turn off your involvement in this external play, which is simply an illusion. Simply an illusion born of your karmic reaction. So, Buddha put forth this philosophy and he, and he stopped the needless killing of innocent animals and he established his own type of, I guess you would call it religious spirituality, but it was based on Nirvishes, the ultimate objective is nothing. There's nothing there. So if you speak to a true Buddhist, their ultimate objective is to end karma and to, to basically turn off involvement in anything that would 
you know, it's, it's just not, there's no reality. So that was step one. Well, now you have a situation where spiritual, the, the knowledge, all the knowledge con contained in the scriptures is of, is not being utilized. Therefore, the Lord himself instructed Shiva, said, you go and you preach your own philosophy based on the Vedas, which will capture all this. It, it'll practically be Buddhism. So we call that a Dvaitavad. And it is, yes, this world is false. This world is an illusion. So the, the view of the world is the same. Right? The view of the outside world is the same. It's not your true being. But the Buddhist, the objective of the Buddhist is nirvana, which is what? Nothing. nothing. There's nothing. The Advaitavads is, there's nothing in the world for you. Turn off your karma in the world and what? Merge with the spiritual energy. It's not nothing, it's spirit. So he was able to easily capture their minds with this philosophy. It's actually spirit. Now that's in accordance with the scriptures. You are a spirit soul. You're not nothing. There's more to you than nothingness, which is what Buddha said in the ultimate objective, turn the world off and you'll become one with the great nothing. nothing. And Sankar, Acharya, preached the same thing, but turn off the world and you'll become one with spirit. But in spirit, what is it? They refer to it as Brahman. Become Brahman realized. Merge with Brahman. You are Brahman. You are God. There's no difference between that spiritual substance and your spiritual self. That step being made gradually through various very powerful teachers, Ramanujacharya, Madhvacharya, Valavacharya, coming up to the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, um, gradually the knowledge of the Vedas is reintroduced to humanity and this conception of Nirvishesh, a formless spirit takes form in the pages of the scriptures. And we learn that, yes, this world is a world of illusion. This world is a world where we can become trapped by karmic activity, action and reaction. But ultimately, there is also a spiritual world where you can become completely entrapped with a loving relationship with the Supreme Person and his eternal associates. So Sankaracharya was a manifestation of Lord Shiva specifically sent to, to do this. He was the first in the step 
the second, Buddha was first, he was the second step to bringing humanity back in line with the proper conception, a proper understanding of Vedic knowledge. Uh, ultimately, this, this brings us up to the point of the appearance of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Jiva Goswami. Now, what was Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's specific contribution as we go forward in the understanding of spiritual life? We read in the Veda, we read in the Mahaprabhu, Srimad Bhagavatam specifically about developing love for God. And the way of developing love for God is what? Through a regulated spiritual life. Being spiritual in so many ways. Worshipping the Lord in this way. And, and, and so many directions are there. And the inspiration for that love of God is coming from what? It's coming from scriptural injunction. The do's and don'ts of scripture. I've likened it to, to a donkey and the carrot. Or a, you know, you put the carrot out in front and they are there and they're going after it. So, you do like this. You you, uh, you you treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. You're uh, you're kind, nonviolent, humble. How many conditions can be there for our for our well-being, for the well-being of our existence? So all these high moral standards are established in the scriptures. And the attainment of spirituality is, is, is there through the following of those moral directives. So that's love of God according to scriptural injunction. It's a lot of do's and don'ts. That's called Vaidhi Bhakti. Attaining love for the Supreme by following a certain way within the world of conducting your life in a spiritual way. And along comes Lord Chaitanya and he says, that's okay, but there's another way that's even more exciting. And that way is Rag Bhakti. In Rag Bhakti, we follow all those rules and regulations. Those are secondary. It's not that we're immoral and that we give up proper morals and proper conduct and doing things the way that would be pleasing to God as they're outlined in scriptures. We don't throw that out. That's certainly, but that's just, that's just the foundation. What's primary is let me learn about the topmost lovers of God, how they interact with the Lord, how they've developed their love for Him, how He's developed their reciprocation with them, 
And when I become attracted, when my heart feels some real inclination towards one of that kind of love that I see being exchanged between the Lord and his eternal lover or associate or friend or parent, then I begin to follow that person. So now we have a complete, a completely different dynamic when it comes to entering into spiritual life. Srimad Bhagavatam highlights that bhakti, that love for the Supreme Lord. That is why what? It illuminates all the other scriptures. In its 10th canto, you actually can directly perceive how those loving relationships develop and directly experience through the revelation of the Bhagavatam those relationships. So, in Anacheda 23, Sankaracharya's care in not touching the Bhagavatam is, is pointed out by Jiva Goswami. And in the early part or earlier part of this Dada the commentaries of great saints, great Vaishnavas are pointed out. Up to the point, um, even though in the I'm not going to read the verse to you unless you'd like to hear it, but he mentioned many are mentioned. But in the commentary, what's pointed out is the only one that persevered in time, the others aren't available to us, is that of Sridhar Swami. Why? Because when, when, when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, this is the best commentary, this is the commentary, then the others, you'd have to understand, they, they didn't carry through in the community because what? If you wanted to have one of those saints' commentaries, what did you have to do? You had to go to the temple where that commentary was and you had to make a copy for yourself. Sri Chaitanya says the best commentary is Sridhar's. When you go to the temple, which one are you going to take off the shelf and copy? There were no printing presses at the day. So that's why some of these older scriptures that even Jiva Goswami refers to in these in his tapas and dharma, are not available to us today. And that is, that's, that's the understanding of why they are not available. Anucheta 24. Srimad Bhagavatam is the cream of the Vedas. In this Anucheta, what we have is, uh, we're talking about those great saintly teachers going forward uh, from the time of Buddha, Sankaracharya, then we have Ramanujacharya, now we have the introduction of theism from impersonalism, nati nati, it's not, you're not this, you're not that, you're not the material world, you're spirit. But 
their objective in a, in, of attainment is to merge into the Supreme Spirit. But what is that? That's a, that's a, that's a sense of what? Satchitananda. There's no material misery in that in that state of existence, but there's no spiritual intercourse. There's no loving exchange between one spirit and another. You merge into that homogeneous, what is it? Homogeneous. Homogeneous. Allness of spirit. spirit. And Ramanacharya taught that? No. Oh. No. That's Sankaracharya. But then we come to Ramanuj and gradually theism is introduced and you have and that becomes more and more prevalent going forward. Ramanuj, Madhvacharya, Balavacharya, and coming up to the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So in the twenty fourth Anucheta, Jiva Goswami points out that Madhvacharya wrote a what he calls is a gloss of the Srimad Bhagavatam. That was called the uh, Bhagavat Tatparya. And the reason he did that is although Sankaracharya did not touch the Bhagavatam, he was Krishna's greatest devotee. Even the Bhagavatam says that as Lord Shiva. So as Sankaracharya, when he came to to at least introduce uh, an acceptance of the Veda, even though it was a, a distorted presentation, not bringing out the re, the act, the actual absolute personality of the Supreme Lord, but rather his impersonal aspect. Uh, his followers did. And because they did, then Madhavacharya said, Whoa, we're not going to let this, this Advaita Vod touch the Bhagavatam. So therefore he wrote, uh, what, what, what is referred to here as a gloss. I don't know what a gloss is. But it's not referred to as a commentary. So uh, that's interesting. A uh, particular mention is given to one of Sankaracharya's followers, uh, Punyaranya, who made a commentary on the Bhagavatam based on Advaita Vod. Again, with the uh, verse from Bhagavatam comes up regarding the fruit that the Bhagavatam has to offer. Nigama Kalpa Turor Galitam Phalam. O expert and thoughtful men, Relish Srimad Bhagavatam, the mature fruit of the desire tree of Vedic knowledge. It emanated from the lips of Sri Sukadeva Goswami, therefore the fruit has become even more tasteful. Although its nectarine juice was already relishable for all, including liberated souls. The conclusions about Srimad Bhagavatam regarding the absolute truth, the supreme, uh, preside over all over other philosophies. You will not find a better conception of the Supreme anywhere. Srimad Bhagavatam reigns supreme. And Vasudev taught Srimad Bhagavatam to Sukadev Goswami not because he was his son, 
but because he was the most qualified. And what was his qualification? He was already liberated. He already had no, no desire to enjoy the world. So he was a liberated soul. And he had no bias because he was liberated. What that means is he didn't have any material biases. His ego, his, he was not egotistic in that way at all. What's the other nature of the Bhagavatam? It's like a fruit, but a very special fruit. A special fruit that has no pit and no skin. So you can consume it all. There's nothing there that isn't of the nature of the Supreme Absolute. It's completely, you don't have to cut anything off. You don't have to take out the seed. You can just eat, you can eat it all. It's all good for you. Which brings us to Anucheta 25. In this Anucheta, uh, Srila Jiva Goswami will begin his praise of Sukadeva Goswami, the speaker of the Bhagavatam. What are his, he praises his character. His character is so wonderful that in speaking the Bhagavatam and being empowered to speak the Bhagavatam in an assembly that included his guru and his guru's guru, so they are both in the audience and this young child of what? 16 years old comes naked into the assembly. His naked, nakedness what? Signifying that he has no care in the world. He can walk naked about among men and women and it will not ever affect him. So he walks into this assembly at 16 years of age which is what? That's the prime of your life for enjoying the world, is it not? That's the time when, you know, it's all about that he has not a care for the world. And he is so qualified in his detachment from worldly things and his attachment to spirit that his attachment to spirit was such that when he immediately came into the world, he left his home walked away, didn't care for his father, didn't care for his mother, didn't have a care in the world. So he walks into the assembly of sages, which is the foundation upon which the dialogue, which is Srimad Bhagavatam, takes place. And both his guru, father guru, and his grandfather guru they both sat to listen to the same instructions that they gave to him but coming from his life from his mouth significance being that just like a fruit it becomes sweeter and sweeter so Sukadev he can touch this fruit and just like a a bird can take some little fruit, some beak, put their beak in the fruit, the fruit will actually become more ripe there. I'll stop there for this evening. Questions?
Yes. Did Buddha do something wrong? I mean, wasn't Buddha perfect? So, if, uh, Buddha was an incarn. Our understanding is Buddha is an incarnation of God. So he did nothing wrong. He stopped the wrongs of man who were misreading another manifestation of his very self, which are his scriptures. So mankind was misusing his scriptures, the Lord's scriptures, and performing sacrifice for their for their selfish motivations. Okay. You're, it's okay to do sacrifice if you follow the sacrifice perfectly according to scripture. And again, understand that we're when you when we hear things like this, we're talking about huge expanses of time. So when we look to our age today, we wouldn't dream of, of having an animal sacrifice. But there were times in the history of man, which is cyclical, there are times in that cyclical cycle of man where that kind of an action is a, is a spiritual action. It's recommended in the scriptures. It's not recommended for us. Just to give you an understanding of when we talk about cyclical time, we're in the worst age of humanity right now. At the most, we may live for a hundred years in one body. That would be lucky. In earlier ages of man, they would live in, in one body for a thousand years, 10,000 years. A hundred thousand years, like in Satya Yuga. Now, in Satya Yuga, the method of spiritual practice was meditation. But you had 10,000 years to get it perfect. So you had plenty of time to, to become perfect in that method of spirituality. As going forth in time, it's just like a cycle, then mankind became lost a little bit of that potency, lifespan decreased down to 10,000 years, and the method of, of practice at that time was sacrifice. And they would have huge sacrifices, all the gold in the world gathered together in huge affairs. And during those affairs, the, the most perfect of priests who were who are, mystics of their own right that could just by their mantras produce gold. Their mantras could also revive. So when they would have a sacrifice and they would take an old cow and sacrifice an old cow, in the fire of sacrifice, the cow would enter and out would come the calf, a young cow. That's how powerful they were back in that age of man. So it, that's the age of man we're talking. They quit. They lost their abilities to perform these sacrifices perfectly. And therefore, they were only interested in the results of the sacrifice, but not in doing it in such a way according to scriptural direction so that it was a benefit and not a burden to the animals that they were killing. Therefore, Buddha came. God had to come himself. He came as the Buddha. He said, forget my scriptures, forget all the directions there for sacrifice. 
It's not for you. So that's that's what we're talking. Yes, Buddha, of course, is all perfect. And then after him, you said someone, uh, Shiva came. Shiva came as, yeah, his and his his manifestation. He didn't come as Shiva with all the arms and you know all the things that Shiva manifests. He came came rather as a saint in the world named Sankaracharya, and he he he. He took the good that Buddha had started with ahimsa and with giving up material karma, action in the world, and, and becoming neutral to your, to your worldly action. And where Buddha said the ultimate objective is nirvana, Sankaracharya said the ultimate objective is Brahman. So instead of entering the nothingness, enter the spiritual light. That's one step closer to going back to introducing the scriptural directives. Now we're at a different time in the history of man, and we're coming into a different, and therefore the sacrifices are not the religion of the day. Now the religion of the day is worship. So we follow the sacrifices, we bring the scriptures back in, we introduce the worship for mankind at that point in time, and then it advances from the objective, the priogen, sambanda, abhideya, and project, priogen, what is the objective of your spiritual practice, is no longer merging into the spiritual energy, but it's developing love for the spiritual personality behind that energy. So that's where we are now, that we're coming to, a, to the age of, the worst age of man but the best prospect spiritually for mankind. Does that make sense? Anything else? Thank you very much for your association. Hare Krishna.